1 John this morning. It's time for our kids to be dismissed. dismissed. <laughs> Who's been on vacation this week? I have no idea. It's time for our kids to be dismissed to Children's Church. <laughs> I have a feeling that there is more of that to come this morning, all right? I'll be praying for me. All right, today what we're going to do is we're going to start looking at a message, this uh, part, portion of it given this morning and a portion of it given next Sunday, all right? We're going to talk about the three that testify, all right? They're running out. They're just leaving. They're running like in drove. Uh, Pam, you can get up and run too, all right? All right, so this morning we're going to be in First John chapter 5. We're going to start there. All right, so each one of us have a testimony. Do, do you realize that your life is a testimony? So if, if, as our lives are testimonies to who God is and what God has done in our lives, our job is, is to live that out before those who are around us. Now, when we tell, most of the time, when we tell people that they need to share their faith, that's a difficult thing. Not everybody likes to speak in front of other people or to people these days. You'd rather text your faith, right? You know what I'm saying? Or email your faith. But our, our faith needs to be shared. We've lost interpersonal relationship skills, have we not? And so we need to learn how to testify in a short amount of time about who we are. And I'm going to give you the example that Christ set for us. And we're going to talk about each of the parts of that so that as, as we look at our lives, we can hopefully better testify to those who are around us. Because if we keep it simple, it'll be easy for us conversationally to be able to share our faith. So that's really what I wanted to accomplish over this week and next week is to teach us how to better testify. Okay? And so I want to give you the definition. This is the testimony defined, our faith in Christ Jesus, all right? It starts in verse 1. It says this, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So this is how our testimony is defined, all right? Our testimony is defined as our faith in Christ Jesus. Where does that faith come from? That faith comes from God, believing that God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, all right? And then he what? He also gave us commandments of how we should live our lives. In other words, Scripture is given to us so that we might know how we shall live. So our testimony is defined by the Word of God. Our testimony is defined by our faithfulness to Christ through the Word of God. And so this passage right here tells us that when we take Christ's blood that cleanses us at the cross and believe that wholly in our heart, and then also take the commandments or the word of how our life should be lived by God and apply that, what does it say happens in this verse, this passage right here? What, what happens to us in the world? We overcome the world. We overcome. Are we living an overcomer's life as believers and followers of Christ right now? Most of the time not. Is the church living as overcomers in the world right now? The church as a whole is not living as overcomers in this world. We're living as defeated people. 
because of what the world persecutes or does towards us. And we're getting caught up in the things of the world, which also drag us down into the muck and the mire of the world. We have to live as overcomers in this world. How do we do that? Faith and trust in Christ Jesus and in the commandments that God gave us of how we should live our lives. What does what the Old Testament gives us the top ten, but then Jesus came along and says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So there's instructions from the old of what we shall and shall not do. And then there's instructions from the new that tell us that what? To trust in God with every aspect of your life and then to love your neighbor as yourself. If we follow these commandments, then people will know that we are followers of Christ. Jesus said that. You will be defined. People will know that you love me by your love for others. So when we see all this and know this, and we've been talking about love a few weeks ago for a number of weeks, when this flows out of our life, it gives our life a testimony. And that testimony is defined to us in this passage right here. Then he says this. He says this, and and starting in verse 6, he says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not the water only, but the water and with the blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth, for there are these three that testify. These are the three things that testify. So we're going to look at these one by one individually. So today we're just going to look at water. Next Sunday we'll look at the blood and then the Spirit of God. So the first thing that we want to see about our life that testifies about who we are is the water. There are marks in our lives. Everybody can remember certain aspects. There can be milestones or there are certain marks. There's a birth, right? Every single one of us is born. Some of us have marks of our birth. Do you have a birthmark? I have a birthmark, all right, on my shoulder. There's a mark that's been there since the time that we were born. It's a mark in our lives. And so we are born into this world. That's a part of it. There are other marks that you may go through. depends on what happens in our lives. You could have a, a mark when you got married, all right? That's the smack upside your head from your, sp- your wife, right? All right? You're mine now, all right? There are marks or times in our lives when, we, when things happen, and there are milestones that happen in our lives. These, these are different for each one of us, but in some cases, they're consistent for all of us, okay? All right, the watermark is a mark that is from our birth, but it's also a salvific mark as well. And I want you to see this. Let's, let's just get back to the scripture instead of me trying to work my way through it through words. The passage I want us to turn to is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Jesus is speaking to um, Nicodemus. Now remember, Nicodemus is a part of the Sanhedrin, so he is a Pharisee. And so he is a leader of religious people. And Jesus answered him, who gave he, Nicodemus comes to him and asks him a bunch of questions. And, and Jesus answers and says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can this man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water. So the first birthmark that we have is a natural birth. It is a birth of water for each of us. That's that's the first milestone and first mark in our lives. It's natural. It's of the flesh. It happens to everyone. But what is that mark? Is that a mark of togetherness with God? 
Or is it really just a mark of separation from God? We are born into what? Born into sin. So it's a mark that brings us into this world, but it brings us into this world separated from the Father because of sin. Not because of anything that we have already done or anyone else has already done. It's because sin is in the world. Sin came into the world through Adam, and we have this birthmark. We have this natural birth in through water that symbolizes our coming into this world, but it also symbolizes our separation from God. So, for which is born of the flesh is flesh, John 3, 6 says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage, into sin. So Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7 that the law is spiritual, but it also condemns us. If you go and read in Romans over and over, Paul says that we cannot be saved by the law. So if he's told us up here already earlier in this passage that what? We are born um, uh, for us to have a testimony... For us to have the testimony, we, we need to realize that when God comes into our life spiritually through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, our life is to follow these commandments. But are these commandments going to save us? The commandments are not there to save us, are they? Thou shalt not kill is not put in there to save you. If you don't kill somebody, it doesn't mean that you're, you're going to automatically go to heaven. So the commandments were not given for salvific purposes. The commandments were given for what? To show us that which is wrong. And to actually show us our separation. So when we're born in this world and our life is to be lived by the Ten Commandments, the laws in which God is given, that's not to save us. See, we get caught up into that in our, in our religious lives. We think that it's that through our bloodline because our parents went to church and our grandparents went to church or because we were a part of this family or, or because we are married into this family that goes to church and because we're a member somewhere, all these different things, we buy into that and say that that's going to give us a free pass into heaven. It doesn't. It doesn't save us. It's not salvific. In fact, it's just the opposite. All it does is reveal our condemnation. Because when we start going through the commandments of God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm sure every single one of us do that every single day, right? And then when he throws in the kicker on top of that to love our neighbor as ourselves, I'm sure every single one of us always puts everyone else in front of us, right? They don't. We don't do that. And then if you really wanted to, you could go back to the top ten, right? No one's ever taken the Lord's name in vain in this room, I'm sure. All right? No one's ever coveted. No one's ever lied or bared false witness. No one has ever not worshipped on the Sabbath and kept it holy. We've broken these things over and over and over again. They reveal our separation. He's trying to explain this to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is looking at this from a fleshly point of view. He's going, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? There's no way that this can happen. But he brings this to a point and says, everyone is born of water. Every one of us is born into this natural birth, but that natural birth separates us from God. Then he goes on and he says this, And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water 
and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. So the second birth is a salvific birth, a birth of the Spirit. This is what baptism is all about. Baptism does not save us. When someone goes into the baptismal pool and comes back out, that water did not save them. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. The inward change is when we allow the Spirit of God to come into our lives and transform us, to make us whole, to bring us back into the right relationship that was separated, the relationship in which we were born into. God brings back to the right of what was created. Because we, we were created to have relationship and fellowship with God. We were created to have spiritual life, life abundant in this world and life eternal with Him. But that sin keeps us from that. So when we are born of the Spirit of God through our baptism, representation, then we what? We complete that and bring that back to whole. So there's a second birth that must take place in our lives. Do we feel and sense the need of that? You know, I've noticed in, in my years of pastoring the church that over the course of time, baptism takes less and less importance in people's lives. People will tell me, oh, I've been a believer or a follower of Christ for years and years and years. Have you ever been baptized? Well, no, I've, I've never been baptized. Why did you never follow through with that? Well, I just didn't see the need or the understanding for that. Look, I'm not telling you that that person's lost because they haven't been baptized. What I'm telling you is, is that their testimony is not complete. It's an incomplete testimony. If our job to testify as Christ has testified to us, he testified to us through baptism, did he not? Why did Christ need to be baptized? Christ didn't need to be baptized. He was sinless. Yet he, through John the Baptist, as the one doing it, went down into the Jordan River and was baptized. And as he came back out, the Lord responded to that, did he not? It's a dove descended. And this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Why would we not feel the need to follow through with that? Why would we think that that was something that we could skip? Why is that something that we think that we can left, leave out? Because you know this, it is a mark that's in our life that needs to be there spiritually for us to give us a greater testimony. It's not salvific. It doesn't save you. But it does help in your testimony. Can you remember your baptism? Does it hold an important part in time in your life? I'm so bad, I had to be baptized twice. I was baptized once as a teenager because my mama told me that it's what I needed to do. And everybody needs to listen to their mama, right? My mama said it was time. And so I was baptized. But it was, it was not transformative at all. In fact, it was not spiritual at all. It was a religious exercise. 
I got baptized the first time because my mama told me to get baptized. You're looking at the poster child for vacation Bible school walking the aisle. During my adolescent years, I probably went down every single VBS to give my life to the Lord. Never followed through with baptism. But at 16, my mama said, hey, you've been walking this aisle in this church for like the past five, six years. You need to go down there and get yourself baptized. And I said, yes, ma'am. But I will tell you this. It was a starting point for me. At that point, I realized that I was saying something about my faith. That it was a, that at that point, everyone realized that I had come out of the water and that I was supposed to be what? I was supposed to be different. I was supposed to be transformed. I was supposed to walk in a different manner. And I didn't. And for the next year and a half, I, I seriously struggled. Seriously struggled. Not so much with who I was. There was no change in who I was. But I was struggling in, internally in my heart because I knew that I had been baptized, but there was no spiritual transformation that was a part of that. So finally, we got a, a, a new pastor. A new pastor came in, and I really liked him, got to know him, went to his office one day and said, you know what, I need to be saved. He can go back and flip on the records and say, look, man, you're still wet behind the ears from the last baptism. What are we doing here? And I'm sitting here going, look, when that happened, I followed my heritage. This time, I'm following my heart. And they dunked me again. Seriously, it was a December of one year and August of the next year. August, so a what, a mere 18 months later, I'm back in the pool again. And people are going, hold him down. Make sure this one takes this time. <laughs> but when I came out that time, there was, I knew that there was something different about my life. And I can stand before you now and tell you this and through a testimony and tell you I've been through both aspects of this. I've been through the religious aspect of getting in a pool and getting myself baptized. And I've been spiritually transformed. Not by the water in the pool when I came out the second time, but in the process of going through that, that started me truly thinking about what was the difference that was in my life. This is what Christ is trying to say to Nicodemus. This is what the Word is trying to tell us about who we are and about our testimony. We think our testimony has to be something spectacular. Our, our testimony has to be the testimony of Christ. Christ didn't have to be baptized and was. That pool is not going to transform you by getting in the water and getting out. But it is a part of your life in Christ. And it needs to be a part of your testimony. Why? One, because Christ did it. And then here, because Christ tells us so. It is a makeup and a part of who we are. There are three that testify. The first is that of the water. Your life before Christ. From the point that you live in the natural birth until you have a spiritual birth, that is part of your testimony. Why? Because your life is supposed to be different after that. 
If I were to go around the room right now and ask what your life was like before you knew Christ and then after you knew Christ, could you definitively tell the difference? If you can't, you need to think about whether you went through a religious endeavor or you were you baptized representing a spiritual transformation. Because if you have not received that or gone through that, I would tell you this. Be born again. Go through baptism again. I'm, I'm, look, I'm hoping not to offend here. I am Baptist. I am Southern Baptist through and through. But if a Methodist came to me and said that they had a spiritual transformation, which I know is probably hard to do in the Methodist church, but I'm just kidding. That was a joke, all right? Y'all can chuckle with that. But if someone of a different faith background had a truly spiritual transformation, I would not ask them to get in that pool again and be baptized by immersion because that's the way we baptize. Now, I get it. I would ask them to do that if they wanted to bond with this church fellowship in the way that this church fellowship recognizes baptism. I would say you need, but I would not tell them that they had to go get in the pool so that we could count them as a baptism on our paperwork. But if they felt the need to bond with this fellowship as a body of believers, as Baptists, I would ask them to do that. But they wouldn't need to go through the spiritual birth or representation of a baptism all over again. I've always struggled with that one. Always struggled with that one. Because sometimes I think that we just want to immerse people so that we can count them. And we've converted a lot of Methodists, Episcopals, and other folks who were sprinkled or, or had infant baptism. You know, infant baptism is different. But, but what I am trying to say to you is that we do that. And I wouldn't ask you to do that. But if you are someone sitting here, or if, if we have family that are back there, children that you're trying to explain this to, I want you to fully understand the representation of what baptism means. Because it is a huge part of our testimony. It is the first mark. All right? So, as we have a natural birth, so we have a second birth, a salvific birth, a birth of the Spirit. The last thing I want you to see is that baptism is a picture of our purification. It truly shows us to be regenerate or to, to show the example of our regeneration. This is why we say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. You and I need and have a need in culture today to show that we are spiritually different from those that are in the world. Now, I know Scripture says that we're to be called out of the world, and we are called out as the body of Christ. But it also says that not to take us out of the world, but to leave us in the world and to use us as an example. So know this. Not only is there a spiritual transformation that's taking place in your life, but your life is going to be used as an example by God. 
So if your life is going to be used as an example by God, and the Lord has told us these three things testify about our lives, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. And we're absent or missing a part of that in our lives, then our testimony is incomplete. If our testimony is incomplete and we're an example before those in the world, what does that mean? That means that we are not setting a full representation of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. So I'm not begging for people to come out of the pews and to get in the pool. I'm just telling you, it is important. It is a part of who we are. And if we are missing that as followers and believers of Christ, then we're missing an, at, an aspect of our testimony. If we're missing an aspect of our testimony, then we need to follow through with that so that our testimony before the world will be complete. So that when we ask others to follow Christ as we follow Christ, we're following Christ fully with our hearts. And if we're not there this morning, I'm just going to ask us and just to take, it's a little different today. I know I've been stumbling, bumbling and fumbling since I've come back off vacation. And my words haven't been the most eloquent. But I want to tell you this. Know this. This is a deep part of who I am and what I believe. So I want to give us time this morning to actually process this. So we're just going to have a moment of silence for everyone here to actually think about where they are relationally with the Lord. And if you haven't followed through, I'm going to ask you in a few moments when we go and have our invitation time to come forward and to follow through. But I want to give you some time to spend with you and the Lord. So let's bow our heads. Father, your word is truth. We know it to be so. We seek to be fully devoted followers of Christ Jesus. There's no half-heartedness about who we are as people of God. But Father, sometimes through our own anxieties, through our own fears and trepidations, We've just not followed through completely in every aspect of what you call us to through your word. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning, I don't care how long they've been a believer. I don't care how old they are. I don't care what people might think. Father, I pray that you will speak directly to their hearts. And if someone has yet to follow through in baptism, 
salvific baptism, believer's baptism. Father, I pray that they would, in their spirit, feel that this morning. Not through the words of a man, but through you. So that their testimony will be a testimony like that of Christ. We didn't need to be baptized, but did anyway. And Lord, I pray that as a people of God, we will understand the importance of that. That as cultural, cultural society says, you don't have to be a member of a church anymore. Cultural society says, hey, we don't even, we don't, we do this, we don't do that. That baptism would not get lost in that shuffle. And that we will truly see the spiritual importance of what it means to follow through in our second birth of water. These things we pray and ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask that we all stand together.